I have been <clears throat> your minister for 25 and a half years, and this has never happened to me before. Marcus, would you do me a favor? Would you go in my office and get my briefcase? <laughs> Shall we sing a few verses of Nearer My God to Thee? Michael. No, that's not it. I was at summer camp once, a UU summer camp, and there was someone, there was a guest minister who preached every day during summer camp. And when he got to the last day, he was up there preaching. He was a good guy. And he's going through some uh, pages as he preaches. And he got to one place and he looked at that page and then he said something I cannot totally repeat, but it was ah something. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. See, we can get through most problems, can't we? <laughs> Maybe not every single one, but most of them we can get through. I feel like uh, every time I should preach in these days right now, I should have a kind of preamble to the sermon, and it should go something like this. Here's the preamble. Our country is going through tough times. We're deeply divided in how we see the world, and we have a new administration that really seems to thrive on accentuating those differences. Many people like our new president, but many others find him deeply disturbing. And in our church, there are more of the latter than the former. Although it is certainly not true that we all feel the same way on everything. That's just not remotely close to truth. But many of us are really searching for ways to make a difference and to try to help our community and our country get onto a healthy and just and sustainable path. So maybe that's the preamble that goes with every sermon for a while. All right, let me tell you something good. Uh, in 2015, about 35 members of this church we went together to the Parliament of the World's Religions in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was really quite a gathering of us, 35 people from just from this church. Uh, the whole gathering was about 10,000 people. And it was an amazing event. Sometimes people say to me, well, why do you want to do interfaith work? You know, um, religious people are so conservative. That's what some people, sort of progressive-minded, say. And then the thing we need to know is that people who do interfaith work are some of the most progressive people in the world. That they're the people who choose to do that. And so gatherings like this tend to be very creative, and they go across all the boundaries. That's what they're all about, just going across the boundaries. So at that parliament in Salt Lake City, I first had the opportunity to hear a speaker by the name of 
Reverend William Barber. Now, some of you know about him because we've been doing a course on his book for a few weeks. And some of you may have seen him on TV. Uh, he's the leader of a movement called Moral Mondays, which you may have heard about in North Carolina. So I went to hear Reverend Barber speak at the parliament. Now, I don't really know if speak is exactly the right word to describe what he does. He's an orator. He's a tall man, very, he must be about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, I don't know. He's heavy set. He's an African-American preacher. And he preaches in that style that sort of begins slowly and rises to a passionate crescendo with a, always a deeply compelling challenge to us to change the world, to bring about a world of justice and equality and peace. That's where it goes, with a lot of energy. To listen to him and to see him at first, you might expect a conservative, you know, kind of uh, come to Jesus kind of message, but that's not what I've ever heard him talk about. What you actually get is a cutting-edge, progressive, street-savvy, inclusive, gay-friendly, immigrant-friendly, Muslim-friendly, radical, freedom and justice-loving, old-time Hebrew prophet with a North Carolina accent, change the world right now, liberal, eco-justice, earth-loving, closet universalist, everybody on board. You cannot escape the power of this message right now, preaching. That's what you get. And he does an altar call at the end. Every time. And the altar call is not about getting saved. It's about saving the world. That's what the altar call is about. And he asks people to come forward and make commitments about what you are willing to do on this journey. So... I was quite impressed with Reverend Barber, and those of us who attended our UU General Assembly the next year also received generous doses of Reverend Barber, who spoke for the UU General Assembly. And for most of us, this is not an experience we will soon forget. So we've been reading his book on Thursday nights. It's called The Third Reconstruction. And he would be the first to say that this is not about him personally, that the power that we all have to change the world is only at its maximum effectiveness when we band together. That is how it's going to work. It's just like Amy's story. It's just Amy's story for everyone. None of us as individuals or even as religious denominations, or even all the LGBTQ people, or even all the women who get as close to it as any group can, can do it by themselves. It just won't work. None of these groups 
can transform our country because there's just not enough leverage in any one of these groups. Even though they're all important and they all have a powerful message and they all deserve our attention, but none of them by themselves can bring about the change that so many of us would like to see. In fact, the only thing that will work from Reverend Barber's point of view is for all the freedom-loving, justice-seeking, compassion-filled people to come together as one and to peacefully, non-violently, and persistently demand that our leaders use their sacred offices to help us bring about the beloved community. That's, that, from his point of view, is the only thing that will do it. It's the only way it will work. And Reverend Barber actually put a coalition like this together in North Carolina, starting a movement called Moral Mondays. And you may have heard of it. So he did this by creating what he calls a fusion coalition. So he says you've got to go out and get everybody. You've got to make friends with everybody. You've got to make contacts with everybody. You've got to cross over all these boundaries. You've got to learn to just go and be connected with everyone who is interested in this. Now, in his book, he puts together a list of 14 groups that he formed a coalition with in North Carolina. And I'm not going to tell you who those are. It's a wonderful book. Go and, and uh, read it because it's kind of specific to North Carolina. But I'm going to give you... Uh, this morning, a possible list of, he uses the word tribes, different tribes. So I'm going to throw out to you a list that I put together that I, looking at American culture, I think could be the tribes that need to come together to create the kind of transformation that many of us want to see. So this is my list. It's only, uh, you know, a kind of a draft. So you may have a slightly different way you would look at it, or a slightly different groups of people, but I'm going to tell you who I think the people are. <laughs> Number one, women and everyone who loves women and cares about women's health and women's issues. That's the first one. Number two, African Americans and everyone who cares about African Americans and about racial justice and about freedom and equality and mass incarceration, which affects everyone, and who cares about civil rights and economic opportunity for everyone. That's number two. Number three, all the immigrants and everyone who cares about human rights and compassionate treatment of all immigrants and their families. I have a good friend who went for a citizenship interview recently, and that person had all their ducks in the row. No, nothing, no problem whatsoever. And that person came back and told me that they felt degraded and humiliated by that experience. Even though 
The citizenship application went through. My friend said it was a humiliating and degrading experience. That was number three. Number four, all Muslims and all who care about freedom of religion and respect for all people and for safeguarding our peaceful Muslim neighbors. We've done a little bit to create relationships there in our church. All the LGBTQ people and all who care about inclusive love and the freedom to love and the freedom to marry and equal treatment of all people. Number six, all the people who care compassionately about access to health care, who believe that health care is a right and not a privilege, something that every person needs to have and has a right to have. Number seven, all workers, including white, black, brown, Asian, men and women, who work hard and deserve to earn a living wage. So that if you have a job, a full-time job, you should be able to survive in a, in a decent way and have a real chance for a good life. Number eight, all who care about the earth, about our environment, about climate change, about pollution, about renewable energy, about sacred lands, all who love the earth and want to help us live in peace on the earth. Number nine, all the income equality people, who are opposed to a tiny fraction of people owning the vast majority of everything, and then being able to have influence to keep it that way. Number 10, all the people who want to take the corrupting power of money out of elections and restore democracy to a decision-making process of all people and not just billionaires and billionaires. Number 11, all the people of every faith tradition and of atheistic and humanistic traditions as well. So all the people across the faith spectrum. Number 12, all the scientists who know that we have to look at hard facts and real realities and actual truth. And then we can demonstrate clearly that some things are more truthful than others. And use that knowledge in our policymaking. So a respect for science and the truth, which is an endangered species in our society. Number 13, people who care about voting rights, who understand, like Martin Luther King and Reverend Barber, that when people can suppress the vote, they can control the country. And if you go back to the writings of Martin Luther King, it is so clear that he sees that reality and that that voting rights bill was such a powerful step forward. And you can go back to the first Reconstruction after, after the age of slavery and you can see how they understood that voting rights are absolutely essential.
present day and hear the same exact same deep concern. If people can control the vote, they can control anything. Number 14, people who believe in public education and realize that a democracy cannot succeed without an educated public. Cannot have a successful democracy. And that our young people cannot be successful unless they have real truth-seeking, fact-learning values enhancing education. And number 15, my last one, is the Native people of America who have endured so much and who need to be honored and respected and receive complete and simple justice. Now that's my list for the moment. It could be changed, it could be expanded. I'm sure I haven't covered everything. It's pretty close to the people he identified in North Carolina. So that is an example of a, what a fusion coalition would look like. See, you've got to get all these parts and put them together. If you want to transform a culture. So I got to tell you, everywhere I go, I am hearing this message. I hear it at interfaith meetings. I hear it at progressive political groups. I hear it at church gatherings. I hear it from community leaders. I hear it from many of the more visionary commentators on the networks that this is the message band together. Everyone. transforming wave. So, is this an easy thing to do? To bring together such a fusion movement? Do we maybe just put a notice in the builder? <laughs> there will be a fusion movement. Bring everyone on earth <laughs> who wants to come. So, let me tell you how Reverend Barber did this in North Carolina. He's been working on building these bridges for a long time. He really understood it very early in his career. He has a few failures early in his career and he realizes he hasn't brought the right groups together to make something happen. So apparently after 2013, um, he and a group of his clergy friends were so disappointed with how things were going in North Carolina that they just decided to go get arrested. They decided that they would go down to the state capitol and that they were going to talk to their representatives, even whether they were welcome or not. So uh, they did something that people who do civil disobedience sometimes do, is they go, they just went into their offices and refused to leave. So they got arrested. And when they came out of, uh, I, I don't know, I have to ask you legal types, I don't think they want to hold ministers that long with practicing up to them. So it makes me more cheerful about the possibility. <laughs> uh, so they, they arrested them. And when they got out, people were cheering them and thanking them for doing that. So they decided, it was on a Monday, they decided, let's go do it again. Let's go get arrested again. So the next Monday, 
they decided to go get arrested again. They had about twice as many people <coughs> who wanted to go. Uh, Jack Ryan is going to teach a course on nonviolence beginning in a couple weeks. Nonviolence is, uh, civil disobedience is an intentional act. These people decided they were going to go get arrested as a kind of witness. So the next Monday, they went and got arrested again, but there were twice as many, and once again, when they came out, people were out there saying, thank you so much for doing something. So they decided they would go do it again. <laughs> and so they went back again. And they repeated this for a number of weeks, and every week, the crowd grew. And they would be in the state rotunda with their chants. And when the people were being taken away in handcuffs, there would be hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the rotunda shouting, we love you. We love you. That would make you more cheerful about getting arrested. <laughs> and the crowds became larger and larger. And they had not intended this when they started out, by the way. They didn't have this plan worked out. They were just going to go do it once and see what happened. And Barbara says that when you start something like this, you don't know how it's going to turn out. It's by its nature a creative process. So it's not, you can say, well, in weeks, it's not like a quarterly projections, you know. <laughs> in quarter two, we'll have 50,000 people. And they dramatically increased their numbers and their supporters, and they started to have an influence on political dialogue in North Carolina. And the last uh, march that Reverend Barber led drew 80,000. 80,000. So, he has given us a model of how this works. And he says that it, are, it works by building a fusion coalition. You have got to bring everybody in, and you've got to really make real relationships with all those people. You might say that you support immigrants, but do you know any immigrants? Have you met them? By the way, the First Unitarian Church of Denver, Colorado has given sanctuary to an undocumented mom. It's been on the news the last few days. So if you, somebody says a church in Denver, that's the First Unitarian Church of Denver, Colorado. They have taken that step. There was a beautiful little interview with her daughter on MSNBC last week. And the mom's in the church and kids are outside, and the uh, cable news people are interviewing the kids, and they interview the daughter whose mom is at the First Unitarian Church, and the little daughter says, I know my mom is going to be safe because the church will take care of her. It's, it's, uh, it's a powerful thing. We're going to have an adult religious education opportunity to find out about this. Rick is the person who talked. So we have to be in personal relationship 
not just abstractly committed to some kind of rights, but we have to be in personal relationship. And we have to be connected to build these relationships so that when the time comes, there's a, there's a bond that exists. And we can, in fact, all come together and do something. That's part of our intention of this event this afternoon, is how do we build bonds together? Barbara says that if people would unite like this, they would be unstoppable. And for this reason, the strategy of the opposition has always been division. And you can study this historically, how a strategy of division took place. Uh, but, uh, between uh, Southern white people and Southern African Americans, there's been a conscious strategy of putting those two groups against each other for over 100, 150 years. Because if they got together and worked together, it would be powerful. But there's always been this conscious strategy get them to dislike each other, which has worked pretty well. So, divide black against white, or black against gay, or science against religion, or Christians against Muslims, and so on. If you can keep those groups angry at each other all the time, then they won't get together and take these strong, powerful actions. And so the tactic of division is the strategy of control. But the tactic of unity is the strategy of freedom and equality and justice. That's the way that works. In a democracy, that has to be true. For democracy is about all the people. That's what democracy is about. And to cut anyone away from the full participation in the community is not democracy. Democracy means everyone. Now that's not the way the Founding Fathers set it up. Thomas Jefferson, who we Unitarians claim is one of ours, wrote the famous words that all are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Well, he didn't have it quite right. But he had the beginning of the idea. And then Martin Luther King comes later and says that those words by Thomas Jefferson are a promissory note that has never been honored by the government. So now it's time to cash in that promise. So it is all everybody, not just the men like he thought, it's everybody. And this idea that we're built on is that everyone has these rights. It is in fact a kind of universalism, I must say. It's a kind of secular universalism. Everyone is in and no one is out. It's a fusion coalition of everyone who loves freedom and loves their neighbor. 
a message that in a way begins with Jefferson and then gradually gets, gets enhanced through history. And the circle of those who are in that definition keeps growing. And it grows through people like Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and Susan B. Anthony and Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. and William Barber and just countless other people who add and, and bring us along the way of full rights and full justice and full participation for everyone. That's the trajectory of our country, the healthy trajectory of our country. It's the long-term path we're on. And so now in our time, we have been given the baton. It's a team effort. It's not an individual sport. Did any of us think one year ago that we would have such a momentous time in history to live through? Did we think that's where we were going to be? Somebody says yes. <laughs> A year ago, with an intelligent and morally admirable president, although we might not have voted for him, doesn't matter, but a, a stable and decent person, a rising stock market, lowering unemployment, kind of sort of peace or less war than before. Who would have predicted that we would have such an upheaval in our lives? Not many people did. But it may be that this is an opportunity for us to be part of something that would be world-changing in our time. To be part of an inclusive fusion coalition that could usher in a time of re-enlightenment, of justice, of ecological sanity, of compassion, and of honoring both civil and human rights forever. It would take a grand coalition to do that. It's not going to be just the new news, I get to do that. It's going to take everybody. And we have to connect with those different parts of this grand coalition. And it is not impossible. And in many ways, it has already happened. Through lots of meetings and internet conversations and small groups all over. Reverend William Barber says, we can only lose if we give up. We can only lose if we give up. If we don't give up, then we cannot lose. If we persevere, if we persist, and stick together through the trials, then the grand coalition will in fact reach the beloved community which we so 